Well, we've been working uh, through this book and to give you a little bit of a background if you're joining us part way through. Paul is uh, writing to a church which is relatively new. Uh, and so for us, we've been really quite enjoying working through this book because in lots of ways we're a relatively new church, which seems remarkable, doesn't it? 2,000 years after Jesus. Uh, Jesus came into this world and he, uh, he, he, he inaugurated a new phase of God's dealing with this world, an age where the church spreads throughout the whole of the world, and that's what we see going on right now. It's a remarkable thing what has happened, and we find ourselves here in lots of ways like the church in Philippi, yet at the same time very different. We've got 2,000 years of, if you like, Christian experience behind us, haven't we, in this country? Uh, and, and many of you might be here this afternoon thinking, well, well, I know what that church thing is all about. I know what that Christian message is all about. And yet what I found remarkable is that when we start digging into it, so many people have realized, actually, what I thought it was all about is not what it really is all about. Uh, and when we start to see uh, the, the greater perspective, the relationship perspective that the message of the Bible is all about, it is breathtaking. It can change us beyond recognition. Uh, and it has been a privilege during these uh, past months, even just in these past months, uh, to see people and to, to uh, be sharing with, with friends who have gone through that experience and are beginning to live a very different life. And so, I guess as we begin, we could say, well, where are you in your view of the Bible? Many people would think, I guess, it's a book of regulations, it's a kind of a, a book of the things that we need to do uh, to be a Christian. It, it's a book which makes demands of us, it kind of sets out how we should be. It's, it's uh, a moral code. Uh, and if we keep that moral code, then we're going to be okay. I was chatting with somebody even in this past week and uh, just, just repeated again something that seems so often the case, that we have this mindset that if we, if we get to the end of our lives and if, if, our, if our good actions, thoughts, motives outweigh the bad actions, thoughts, motives. You know, if we've lived more like this, uh, we get to that point of, of, of coming face to face with God. If the good's better than the bad, if it stacks it out, uh, then we'll be okay. Uh, I want to just say right at the beginning, if, if that's, your th that's your view, if that's your thoughts, we need to start really uh, and go through the whole thing again because that is not what the Bible is saying. In fact, as we look at this particular part of the Bible, we'll see that it's saying something remarkably different. In fact, the burden of living a life which is acceptable to God is an unbearable burden in our own strength. It's a, it's a terrible thing, isn't it, when there is a huge burden placed on us. Perhaps one of the most poignant pictures of that burden, I think, is, uh, in, in movies is in the film Saving Private Ryan. 
Uh, some of you might have seen it. It's a fantastic film, Second World War film, where uh, Captain John Miller is sent behind enemy lines with a band of soldiers uh, to rescue Private Ryan. Uh, it's, two brothers have been killed, and, and the decision is made that they will send, uh, he will be, uh, send us a crack squad of soldiers to bring him out so that the mother doesn't lose three sons. That's the idea behind it. Uh, if you've not seen it, I'm going to spoil it. All right? He gets to the end, and uh, they've saved him. And there's a tremendous battle at the end. And uh, Captain John Miller is mortally wounded. He's leaning against a bridge, and he looks up, uh, uh, Private Ryan, and he says, earn this. As he's freed, as Private Ryan goes free, John Miller says, all that we've given, all the lives that have been lost so that you can be saved, you're a young man, now you go away and you make it worthwhile. You earn it. That, that, that's right at the very end of the film. Right at the very beginning, we see the old um, Private Ryan coming to, to a grave, the grave of John Miller, and then it snaps right to the end, the final scene. He, he walks up to the grave and he says this, My family is with me today. They wanted to come with me. To be honest with you, I wasn't sure how I'd feel coming back here. Every day I think about what you said to me on that bridge. And I've tried to live my life the best I could. I hope that was enough. I hope that at least in your eyes, I've earned what all of you have done for me. One of the most poignant moments in that is that it is not said with a sense of joy. It's said with tears rolling down his face because he looks back at his life and I guess for all of the intense commitment to trying to live a life that makes it worthwhile, He's got to the end and he wonders, have I actually done it? Have I actually lived good enough for the sacrifices that were made for me? If we live our lives in the face of God in that way, if we live our lives continuously looking over our shoulders saying, have I done it good enough? Have I lived well enough for you? Have I done good enough for what you've done? We are going to be helpless and hopeless in our journey. There has to be more. Now, one of the reasons that we can easily, easily fall into the picture that living the Christian life is about uh, following through with a set of demands on us is sections like this one. If we have a look at it, uh, what we see here is that that Paul is, is describing to the, to the church at Philippi the actions of two men. He says, I am going to send to you Timothy. He's a young man, 
And this guy, Timothy, is just sold out on being a Christian. He is so committed. If we look at what it says here, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I may be cheered by news of you. You know Timothy's proven worth, verse 22, as a son with a father. He has served me in the gospel. He served me. He's somebody who is absolutely committed to the gospel of Jesus. And as we read that, there's a real kind of uh, thought, isn't there? There is a tendency for us to think. Uh, therefore, the Christian life is about being good enough. Can we all be like Timothy? Can we all be good enough to be acceptable to God? I mean, Timothy is obviously going to be acceptable, isn't he? As we see. I have no one like him who is genuinely concerned for your welfare. He has just been so committed. And now we look at later on, and we're going to look at each of these guys separately. Epaphroditus. Here's a man who virtually gave his life for the sake of serving Paul and the message of the gospel and the Philippian church. And Paul says, I'm going to send uh, in verse uh, 25, I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, so he's committed, he's relationally connected, my fellow worker, he's diligently committed, and fellow soldier. You know, he uses a picture there to say how committed he is. Uh, and your messenger, and minister to my need. He is your messenger. In other words, we see this man Epaphroditus, who has been in the church at Philippi, and is being sent by the church at Philippi, to Paul on a mission on behalf of the church to support Paul. How much did that cost him? He nearly died because of it. Nearly died because of it. He was very ill. But more than that, both of these men, Timothy and Epaphroditus, both of them are spending time with a man, Paul, who is in a Roman jail. They are, if you like, fraternizing with the enemy in Roman Empire terms. They are in danger of being, if you like, considered the same as the criminal. They're prepared to put themselves in that situation. These are, these are the kind of people who you would think, I've, I've got to live like that if I want to be accepted. We've got to take that and say, where does this fit in to the flow of this. And this is where, if you've been following it, if you've been seeing how this opens up, that's great. You can stick with it. But I'll give a very quick uh, resume to help us to see why this is saying something very different to that. What it's saying, firstly, is Paul's saying to this Philippine church, Jesus. Jesus is what it's all about. Beginning of chapter 2, he says, live a life which is filled with uh, commitment to Jesus because of Jesus. Look at what he did. It says that uh, here's Jesus who was supremely, gloriously in heaven. And yet he didn't hold on to that. He let go of that glory and he came into this world. He lived a life of servanthood obedience 
And then he died, and then he lived. He came back to life. We we can't even get close to seeing what a sharp contrast that was for Jesus, to live in the glory of heaven and then to come into this world. C.S. Lewis puts it like this, that he he dived from glory into the depths of the pool and then sunk into the mud at the bottom to grasp hold of those who are lost, to bring them to the surface that they might live. I think it's just a great picture. Dive down from the glory and freshness and freedom of heaven into the filth of the bottom of the pond to rescue That's what Jesus has done, Paul says. And so he says now, because of that, because of what he has done for you, you are now freed, you are liberated to live a life which is completely different. You are that. If you imagine Jesus has, in in the picture that C.S. Lewis has painted, he's dived down into into the depths of the pool, he's dragged us from the mud at the bottom, and he's lifted those who trust and believe in him into the freedom and the freshness of life. And he says, now because you are in that freedom, live differently. That's what this is saying. It is not saying, look at what Jesus has done. He's dived down into the mud. He's come up from the, from, the, from the filth at the bottom. He's got to the surface. Now, if you do the same as him, you'll be all right. Somehow you've got to fight your way out of the mud, come up through the water, break three into the freedom, emulating Jesus, you'll be okay. No, he's saying. He's got a hold of you. He is the one who's taken hold of you. You were in that that mess. You have been lifted into the freedom and liberty of life in him. And because you are there, now live differently. That's the difference. Don't fight your way to the surface. Live differently because you are at the surface, is what Paul is saying. Uh, And the flow goes like this. Chapter 2, he says, look at what Jesus has done. Look at the way he has broken down. Uh, He has dived down into this world and, and freed us. Look at the way now he now calls us uh, to live starkly different lives, live differently, shine in this world. And now we come to this section where effectively he says, Now let me give you an example, or a couple of examples. These are not people who, if you do as well as them, you'll get accepted. These are examples of what it is really like to live in the freedom of that fresh air. Look at what it's actually like. For Timothy, well, actually, we'll start with Paul. What does service to each other look like for Paul? 
He's in a Roman jail. Uh, you know, Roman jail in those, in those days, you, you, you weren't given uh, three meals a day in Sky TV. Yeah. Uh, it was a case of you were, you were basically dependent on people from the outside to come bring you food, keep you alive. There would be scrattings of help uh, from maybe those around you. You were dependent on those from outside uh, to keep you alive in that jail. And Paul is in that jail. And now look what Paul does. The person who is most precious to him, the person who is most important to him, he says, I'm going to send him to you. Timothy. He is so valuable to me. He is so precious to me. But I'm going to let go of the resource that is most precious to me for your sake. I'll let go of it. I'll send him to you. That is just such a radically different way to live, isn't it? It's just a freed way to live. It's, it's a completely different way of thinking, a way of responding. He says, I'll send him to you. I'll let go of that. Why? Look at what he says. I hope in the Lord Jesus, it's the first thing that it says in verse 19, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon. That's a remarkable thing, isn't it? Because wouldn't you think it wasn't dependent on the Lord Jesus whether he can send Timothy? Isn't it dependent on, on, on the Roman authorities? Not from Paul's mind, not in the way he sees it. Uh, I'm dependent, it's dependent on Jesus uh, whether I can send him. So I hope in him to send him to you soon. That I too may be cheered by news of you. You know one of the things that would make me most happy, Paul says, is to know that you're doing well spiritually. I have this view of life now. I have this view which is not actually all about the immediate. Now just think about it, weighing it up, What's the most important for Paul in that Roman jail? Somebody who's there to make sure that he's got food tomorrow? Somebody who's there to uh, help him? Timothy? Or news that the church at Philippi is doing well? Which is the most important? He actually says that the most important to him is that the news in, of the church at Philippi is good news. That's, that is just breathtakingly different, isn't it? That is living life in, in a completely different way. Now, let's get back to um, uh, Private Ryan right at the very beginning. He's lived his life where he's continually, uh, and this is where earning it absolutely destroys us, he's lived his life continually weighing up. I want to live a good life, and therefore I'll do as much as I can, but I will always be weighing up. The cost to me against the benefit to you. That's what earning it does. I've got resource. I've got time. You've got, you've got resource. We've got resource. Let, let's all join in this together. We've all got resource. We've got time. We've got finance. Uh, we've got emotional energy. We've got 
a roof over our heads, maybe. We've got all of those resources. How do I live my life freed and liberated? How do I live my life in the fresh air? Paul's way of describing it, according to the resource of Timothy, is to say, I'll use that resource to make sure that you're doing well spiritually. Because that is just great news. That will just fill me with joy. That, that will be good news. I've got such a different perspective. I know that it will cost me. I know that I will suffer because of sending Timothy. That is going to happen. But when I think about it, the good news of your spiritual well-being, the help that Timothy can give to you, is of a higher priority to me. Now just let's, let's bring that into our experiences today, our lives today, how, how different that is. We might be thinking, I have a certain amount of resource. How do, how do I do good with that and yet at the same time make sure that I'm okay? whatever that resource is. As soon as we're making that kind of assessment, as soon as we're making that kind of balance, we've lost it. We've lost the measure that the Bible places on the use of our resources. As soon as we're saying, how much is it going to cost me compared to the benefit to you, we're in trouble. If we are saying, how much is it going to benefit you first? If my focus and my objective and my desire is your spiritual development, your spiritual growth, your spiritual hope, then I'm on good ground. And Paul says, I can, I can just send it. Likewise, I can send Epaphroditus back, who has lived out exactly what has been described in the life of Jesus. He has almost laid down his life because he's living like that. I'm sending him back to you. He's lived his life uh, looking for my good. And you might say, well, how can we... How can we do that without falling into this continuous need to measure how well I'm doing out of it? Or at least protecting myself a little bit. How can I do that? How can I live this radically different life? I think the only way that we can do this is when we see the bigger perspective of what life is actually all about. As soon as we take that step of saying, my commitment is for your spiritual good, because more than anything, I want to spend eternity with you and with Jesus. I, I have that view, which is that to see you spiritually strengthened, developed in your thinking, a, a solid foundation on the truth of the word of the living God, 
as soon as that is my desire, because I know that that is going to extend beyond the things that are temporary now, I can let go. I can do that when I see that kind of perspective. When I can see that if, if I am able to, to help you to know the Lord Jesus as your Savior and as your King and to secure relationally for you a place in heaven by my, commitment, by my letting go of some of my resources for your sake. And I know that eternity is at stake. Whether that's money, whether that's time, whether that's emotional resource that is so scarce, I want to give to you. Because if that means that we can spend eternity sharing the riches of the goodness of God, what is my riches now for this short space of time? It is nothing. That is what Paul describes in Corinthians as the enduring power of love. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. He talks about lots of ministries. Prophecy, tongues, all of those different kind of ministries. But he says there is one thing that is going to endure. There is one thing that is going to continue for all of eternity. And that is love. If I can let go, if you can let go of all of those resources for the sake of others, if I can live my life which is replicating what Jesus has already done, letting go of all of his resources, and coming into this world as a peasant preacher, hated, finally killed, but knowing that there is something beyond. Hebrews said that's exactly what he did. He did it for love. I can emulate that love, but he did it because he knew that there was something beyond. Hebrews says that he endured the cross. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. He saw a greater joy. Jesus didn't come to this world and die on a cross so that we need not die and rise again so that we can rise and and hang on the cross saying, I hope somebody believes me. He came to this world. He was nailed to a cross He died so that we don't need to die because he knows, because he was convinced, because he had absolute determined confidence in his father that there would be those in eternity that this would be a sacrifice for and he could be sure that he would see them there. That was the joy. Now what does that say to us? And this is is something that I've just, just begun to... I wish that I'd spent more time thinking about this. As soon as we can begin to love like that, as soon as we can begin to see that kind of joy, we can find joy ourselves in it. It is no longer a drudge. It is no longer a drain. It is no longer a cost. It is a joy. It is a joy. Jesus endured the cross because he saw a greater joy. Paul endured losing Timothy and Epaphroditus, great men, 
People who we should honor, Paul says. People who we should love. People who we should respect. Because he saw a greater thing. He saw a church at Philippi who one day he would be worshiping with. And so don't ever think that we can earn it. Because it is love that endures. The family were on a round-the-world yacht cruise. And uh, the tiny, small small yacht that the family were on hit hit some ice. Within a relatively short time, the the boat was beginning to break up and the family had to abandon into the icy water. The mother had managed to get into the lifeboat, so the story goes, and um, the children were in the water. Dad was frantically swimming through the wreckage uh, and dragging the children one by one to get into the life raft with the mother. One by one, this inflatable dinghy. One by one, he dragged them into the water, and the, and the cold was just sapping him and sapping him. And finally, he got hold of the last child, three children, dragged them, dragged them across into the life raft. Uh, and then just as the last child was into the life raft, The cold got the better of him. He smiled into the face of his family. And he said, I love you. As he sank into the water. That is remarkably different, isn't it? It was remarkably different for that family to live their rest of their lives satisfied in knowing that the reason that they were saved was not because somebody was doggedly serving without love. They were saved because they were loved. That is what Jesus has done for us. But, and this is where that picture just falls apart. You know and I know, because we've probably seen news reports and the likes, how, how guilty people feel when they're the ones that survive. How painful that is. And as the children grew up, that was their experience. They felt guilt that they lived when their father died. When Jesus hung on a cross, and he uttered the last human breath that he spoke before he died, he shouted, it is finished. It was a satisfying cry. It was a word that means it's successfully completed. The job is done. The payment is made. But we don't look into those eyes as he died, thinking, isn't it sad that he died instead of me? We don't have to, because he conquered death. You see, when that father slipped into the cold water, that was the end. They lived their life with the sacrifice that was paid with no success at the end of it. But Jesus is able to pay the price, then achieve success. He slips into death 
with triumph in his eyes. He slips into death assured that the job is done. And we see that the job is done three days later. When he comes back to life and he says to you and to me, if you believe and you trust in me, then because I died, you can die in me. And because I live, you can live in me. Therefore, anybody who dies in me will live. Death, where is your sting? It's ended. It is no longer the fearful mountain. Triumph has been wrought at the cross. And success is seen at the empty grave. And it is that. And it is seeing that. And saying, my life now can be lived out sacrificing all sorts of things. I don't need to hold on to anything. Because if I let go of some things that seem so precious to me, maybe some money, maybe some time, maybe some resource, if I let go of those things, it might be that by letting go of those things, there are more people who are in heaven and in who is sharing eternity with me, worshipping Jesus, the one who has saved me. I think that really, when we come to terms with that, I can let go of anything. Because I have a greater treasure secured in heaven. Because Christ has died and lived, lives. That, can change our lives. But more than that, and if we look through the history of the church, what we will find is it is that that has changed the lives of communities, it's changed the lives of countries, it's changed the lives of continents, when people who believe in Jesus suddenly are able to let go of the things that they hold in this world that they think are so precious but then we realize they're not that precious compared to the glory of Him, the honor of Him, and the joy that we will find in relationship with Him. And lots more people coming to know Him.